You're listening to the New Hope Church Podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in. Today's talk comes from Zach Killey. Zach, I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope, and uh, today we're going to be continuing through Romans 4. We're actually going to be finishing it up. Uh, We're talking about Abraham. We're talking about the faith of Abraham and how that applies to us today and what that looks like in our lives. Last week, uh, we talked about how Abraham was made righteous or how he was justified or how he was saved, right? Those are all kind of interchangeable terms. And so the conclusion we came to was that he was made righteous by his faith and by his faith alone. God told Abraham, you're going to have a son, and you're not just going to have a son, you're going to have as many offspring as there are stars in the sky. You're going to be the father of many nations, right? And so that being the promise, Abraham's looking at his own life and going, I'm a hundred. Sarah's in menopause. There's no way we can have a baby. And yet he believed God, right? And that was counted to him as righteousness, that faith in God. And so God gave Abraham circumcision as a sign to know that he belonged to God, that Abraham belonged to God, that he was saved, that he was righteous. Uh, We talked about the fact that works do not bring salvation, but salvation brings works. Salvation brings good works, that a saved person will do good works. We don't do good works, so we can be saved, right? Be clear on that. Um, and so we'll get into Romans 4, 18 through 25. That's where Paul's picking up. Uh, he says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So what we get out of that is Abraham had plenty of reason not to believe God, and yet he did believe God in the face of that. And so that faith was credited as righteousness, right? What else do we get out of that? This promise that if you just have faith in God, then you're you're righteous, you're saved, You're justified. That wasn't just for Abraham. That is for all who have faith in God, right? So it's for us too. And the third thing that Paul points out is that this all happens through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, right? That he was handed over to death for our sins and that he was raised from the dead for our justification. Justification, like I said before, meaning saved or made righteous. Um, And so... 
That's what Paul's saying here. And that's all pretty straightforward, but there's something that kind of sticks out to me as odd. And if you know anything about the life of Abraham, then I think it should stick out as odd to you just a little bit. But Paul mentions this. He says, and Abraham increased in his faith. And Abraham didn't waver. And Abraham glorified God. Huh. See, we know that God says that Abraham's righteous, that he's faithful, right? And so we should be asking, well, what's that, what's that life look like? Well, let me tell you, it's pretty screwed up. <laughs> it's pretty rough. Um, when we look at Abraham's life, we see this point in, in Scripture where he's, uh, he's traveling in this foreign territory with his wife, Sarah, right? And he looks at Sarah and he's thinking, you know, Sarah's pretty hot. He's like, when we get here, what if the ruler here realizes how hot Sarah is and then he wants to marry her, but then I'm married to her, so what if he kills me? And so he goes to Sarah and he says, Sarah, you got to tell people that you're my sister, which is a little weird because she kind of is. She's his half-sister, but we don't judge them because this is the Old Testament and things were different then. So we're going to give them a little grace here. But... She is his half-sister. The point is they're still lying because they're not owning up to the fact that they're married, right? He's, he's denying the fact that they're married. He's just saying, oh, she's just my sister. And so what happens is the leader in this territory sees Sarah and goes, hey, she's pretty hot. I think I'd like to marry her. And so he goes and, oh, this is just her brother. This isn't her husband. Okay, marries her. And then God intervenes before he can ever lay a hand on her. And he says, in a dream, he says, this is my prophet's wife, Sarah. And you're going to hand her back over to Abraham. And your house is cursed because of what you've done. And the, the king's like, I didn't know. And so he goes to Abraham and he's screaming at him. He's like, dude, why did you lie to me? Why'd you tell me that you're her brother? If you'd have just said you're her husband, I wouldn't have married her. Take her, leave, and pray that God lifts this curse off my people. And so Abraham leaves, and he prays, and God stops cursing them. And we look at that, and we're like, dude, that's, that's pretty shady, dude. Like, that's weird. Why did you do that? That's not good. Like, if somebody did that today, we'd be like, that's really messed up, right? And here's the thing. If you notice, I'm vague on the details, because it doesn't happen once. It happens twice. He does it twice in the Old Testament. He's a coward and he's selfish. Who do you think he's looking out for in that situation? He's looking out for himself because he lets his wife be married to another man. How must she feel in that situation? Aside from the obvious points of why this is so messed up, think about why else this is bad. God has said, Abraham, you're going to have a son. And that son is going to have lots of sons. And those sons are going to have lots of sons. And you're going to be blessed as the father of many nations. And Sarah's going to be the mom. But Abraham just gave her over to another man to be married twice. This is like spitting in the face of God's promise. Right? That's messed up. Okay, he goes on. It's been a while. There's no baby still. Where's the baby? Sarah looks at Abraham. She's like, listen, we need an heir. Why don't you take my 
maiden Hagar and impregnate her, have a baby with her, and then he can be your heir. And so Abraham's like, okay, and he does. She's pregnant, has a baby, his name's Ishmael. But once again, why is that a problem? Because this isn't the way it's supposed to happen. God said, Sarah is going to be the mom. You're supposed to wait. You're supposed to wait on my promise to you, Abraham. You're spitting in the face of my plan yet again. Does this seem like a faithful person to you? Does this seem like a believer to you? Let me ask you this question. Have you ever looked at like on social media, you got celebrity pastors screw up all the time. And when it does, it's a bombshell gets dropped on a church congregation. You've got Believers, uh, say it's like a famous believer, or it's a Christian musician that, that messes up, or say it's somebody in a local church body, whether it's our church or not. You hear stories of people that screw up. What if it's somebody in your life, a family, a friend, a dad, a mom, brother, sister, that you see this sin in their life? You see them mess up royally, and you're looking at them, and you're going, are they even a believer? Is that person even a believer? Because that's not how believers act. How many of you are guilty of that one? Yeah. If we were to judge Abraham by his worst decisions, does that look like a believer? But God says Abraham is faithful, that he never wavered, that his faith increased, that he glorified God in his life. And you're sitting here going, what? So let me ask you this one. So let's say you hear the voice of God, right? And he says, hey, uh, I need you to sell your house, and I need you to uh, uproot your family. You're going to pull your kids out of school. You're going to quit your job. And uh, I'm sending you over to New Mexico. You don't know where in New Mexico. No big deal. Um, And by the way, we're going on foot. So get rid of that van. And you don't know what's going to happen. There may be danger along the way. You don't know where you're going to sleep when you get there. You don't know how you're going to make money. You don't know where your food's going to come from. But trust me. I'll work out the details. You'll be fine. Show of hands, how many of you are just going to be like all giddy to jump up and be like, all right. Okay, that's about right. Got it. Um, Second one. Let's try this one. Let's try this one. God tells you, hey, you know your son or your daughter or your brother or your sister or your dad or your mom or your best friend, whoever. Whoever is closest to you in the world, that person that means more to you than anything, God says, I need you to kill them. And I need you to burn them as an offering for me. Show of hands? Yep. Here's the thing. God asks Abraham both those things. And you know what? Abraham follows through. See, God tells Abraham, I need you to sacrifice Isaac. Abraham never thought he could have a kid, right? He's 100 years old. His wife is in menopause. There's no way they're having a baby. And then all of a sudden, God God says, no, you're going to have a baby. And now he's got this son. He's grown up a bit. His name's Isaac. He loves him more than anything in the world. And one day God says, I need you to kill him. And I need you to burn him as an offering for me. And so Abraham rounds up his men. 
and he puts firewood on Isaac's back and he makes Isaac carry it up the mountain. And they get to the top of the mountain and you got to understand there's extra biblical writings. They're not part of the Bible, but there are writings that claim that Isaac bound himself, right? That, that he tied himself down as a willing sacrifice, right? That's not in the Bible. I don't know that. We can't know that. In fact, I can't help but believe that this teenage kid probably kicked and screamed and fought tooth and nail as his dad tied him down to kill him. And he raises a knife. And as he's raising this knife, this kid's got to be thinking, Dad, why are you doing this? And all of a sudden, Abraham hears the voice of God say, Abraham, stop. And Abraham puts down the knife. And they look in the bush, and just as Abraham had told Isaac earlier in the story, that God would provide the sacrifice. They look, and there's a ram with its horns caught in the thicket. And God has provided the sacrifice, and they take the ram, and they kill it, and they sacrifice it to God. Now, here's the deal. Maybe you've heard that story a million times. Maybe you haven't heard that story. But what is a very real possibility right now is you're thinking, what kind of moral monster is God? Why would God need to know if Abraham was going to kill his own son? Why would God need to know if his servant was willing to go that far for him? That's terrible. Here's the deal. If that's what you're thinking, you're you're thinking about it wrong. Because that's not the point. God is omniscient, okay? Big word, million dollar word of the day. It means all-knowing. He knows the past. He knows the future. He knows the end of every road. He knows everything, okay? He doesn't need to know if Abraham will do it. He knows Abraham will do it. So then what's the only other option? Why is God doing this? Because it's not for God. It's for Abraham. It's so Abraham knows the heart of God. It's so Abraham knows what kind of God he serves. So here's the deal. The Bible says the reason Abraham did this is because he knew that God, even if he required the life of Isaac, had promised him that Isaac would be his offspring and that he's going to be the father of many nations, right? And so Isaac can't be dead. And so Abraham knew that even if God made him take his own son's life, that God would raise that son from the dead. That's his faith in God. That I know you're good and I know you don't want, you, you would never want me to just kill people, but even if this is somehow part of your plan, then you'll raise my son from the dead. What kind of faith is that? That's amazing. And so you may be sitting here thinking, well, is that why he was saved then? Is that why he's righteous? That's crazy, right? I, could, I don't know what I would do put in that situation. I can't. I'm not hopeful. I'm not hopeful of what I would do if I was placed in a situation like that. Yet Abraham did it. That must be why he's saved. And I'm here to tell you until I'm blue in the face every Sunday, because we have to understand this. No, that's not why he was saved. It was because he believed in God. It was because he had faith in God. And his faith in God made him the kind of guy that would trust God 
with anything in his hands. But he was not justified because of anything he did. Nothing he did could be good enough. We've already talked about all the ways he screwed up. No way could he be good enough to ever make himself right with God. And you may be thinking, well, wait, so all I have to do is have faith? Literally, all I have to do is believe in God to be saved? That seems too easy. And you're right. It is too easy. It's crazy that it's that simplistic of a concept. If you believe, you're saved. And then you'll go do good things. Why? How can it be that easy? Because it's not on your work. It's on somebody else's work. I told you that God told Abraham, hey, uh, I need you to, to sacrifice Isaac. And so he put this wood on Isaac's back and Isaac carried the wood to the top of the mountain. And then Abraham raised the knife to kill him and God said, stop. Right? Well, some thousand years later, God took his own son, his true only son, and he put wood on his back. And he made him carry it to the top of the mountain. And God never said stop. He didn't say stop when Roman centurions stripped him naked. And he didn't say stop when they brought out a whip called the Cat of Nine Tails. It's got lots of tassels on it made of leather. There's glass and stone and rock on the ends. And they hit him with it 40 times and they tore skin from his body. And he didn't say stop when they pressed a crown made out of thorns, big, long thorns, deep into his skull, into his flesh. And he didn't say stop when those same Roman soldiers raised their hammers and drove spikes into his son's hands and feet and raised him up on a cross, humiliating the God of the universe. And he didn't say stop when Jesus looked up and said, God, Dad, why are you doing this? Why have you forsaken me? And he didn't say stop when he drew his last breath. He let his son die because just as Abraham had predicted from the very beginning, God would provide a lamb and not maybe even in the way that Abraham saw it. It was bigger than that. It was so much bigger than that. But Abraham took that step of faith because he trusted that God. It's on Christ. It's on his work. That's why Abraham was found righteous by his faith. That's why we can be found righteous for our simple faith and nothing else. Paul wraps this whole thing up by saying, Christ was handed over to death for our sins and he was raised from the grave for our justification because just as he is raised from the grave, you and I will be raised from the grave if we just simply believe in him. And so my question to you today is a simple one. Do you believe that? Get real with yourself. Do you believe what I just said to you? As big, as crazy as it may seem, do you believe it? Because if you do, you're saved. You're justified. You're made righteous. Now go live with a faith like Abraham. Now, I understand living with a faith like Abraham means that you're going to screw up all along the way. 
You are going to make some very poor decisions because we all do. And sometimes they may be so bad that people are going to look at you and go, are you even saved? But God says that you're made right if you believe in him, if you have faith in him. And Jesus also says that I'm sending someone to you, the Holy Spirit, and you're going to do greater things than even I did. We're going to do greater things than even Christ did in his time on earth. Because we have the Holy Spirit. We have God living in us, acting through us, working in us. He wants to work through us. The question is, will you just let him? Will you just be willing? Will you just participate? Will you be his hands and his feet? Will we be the church? Here's the deal, guys. Something in our culture that is very messed up is how much emphasis we put on Sunday morning. How much emphasis we put on being in this seat today. Singing these songs, listening to this sermon. It's all good. It's all great. But do you know how many other hours there are in the week other than this one? Many. Many hours in the week. And we're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ every one of those hours. And so what I challenge you to do is to live with a faith like Abraham. To live, love, and go like Jesus in this world. We got to have faith like Abraham. We got to trust that God provides for us. We got to trust that he's with us. And if you're wondering, I don't know what that looks like. Let me tell you, Jesus says it best. He says, go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey me, to obey my commandments. Disciple is just a fancy word for student. We're to make students of Jesus, and we're to be students of Jesus. And that means we got to get down and dirty and we got to get into the lives of the people around us and we got to pour out the love that God has given to us into their lives. And sometimes that's hard and sometimes that's easy, but we got to give ourselves to the people around us and love them and show them the love of Christ and teach them about who he is. So I challenge you, love love like Jesus and, and live with a faith like him. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.